0: This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure, who are here to make procurement simple, offering great value and quality for products and services, all for zero cost. And what business wouldn't want that? I am delighted that their support will now help keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat, just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Varian Palmer, director of the iconic Headland Hotel in Cornwall.
1: Coming up on today's show... Varian proves that the guest gets what the guest wants. Makes sure the guests are kept happy, including room temperature, Evian water for a poodle.
0: Phil thinks he's an English teacher. Why have you misspelt Guinea Phil? And Varian speaks the truest sentence ever muttered on the show.
1: If you want to have a quiet dinner, never get a group of hoteliers round a table together.
0: All that and so much more as we chat through Varian's story and journey to date. This chat was an absolute joy from start to finish. Not only is Varian's story superb and how she ended up doing what she does, but there's also so much gold in here about building community and creating some positive campaigns to help elevate both the industry and your locality. She also brings more than her fair share of fun through her amazing stories. And a massive thank you to her for bringing such warmth to our chat. Don't forget to give us a like and a subscribe wherever you consume your podcast. Enjoy. And a big hospitality meets. Welcome to Varian Palmer. How are you?
1: I'm great, thanks. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: You're very, very welcome. Where are you today?
1: I am in beautiful sunny Cornwall. well, I always say beautiful, sunny. I have to admit today it's a little bit sideways rain and wind, but the sea's looking beautiful
0: yeah, well you're I mean being down on the west coast, and this is uh, straight into weather this is just, <laughs> this is this is a thing now. I suppose you get the western fronts as they hit the the British Isles.
1: Yeah, we get the, um, I mean, the, the waves and the, the wind is rolling across the Atlantic, hitting the the side of the hotel building um, at full force, 80 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. Yeah, it can be fairly wild here in the winter months, but completely different in the summer. Beautifully sort of calm, lovely turquoise sea days. So, yeah, very, very different yeah. summer to winter here.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And I, I mean, I've, I've been, I've actually been to your hotel. I, I had Ooh. dinner in your hotel many, many years ago. Uh, what a spot you have. So maybe just tell the listeners who you are and what you do.
1: Okay. Um, So the Headland Hotel, um, one of the iconic buildings in Cornwall, very recognisable, is a beautiful 125-year-old building set on a clifftop promontory. Um, We have a five-star hotel, 40 cottages in our self-catering village that are also five-star, a five-bubble luxury platinum a rated spa. We have the Aqua Club with six pools. And my family have owned the Headland um, since 1979. My mother was 23 and my father was 28 when they bought the hotel in a very, very rundown condition. I think if you were sleeping in a bedroom on the first floor when it rained, you'd be lucky if your pillow didn't get wet. Wow. And over the last 43 years, um, the, have, the, my parents have reinvested every penny back into the hotel to really try and create the most amazing operation and company and building that it is today
0: brilliant well and and that's well I mean that's a story in itself isn't it really like re- restoration of a a fantastic building that has such a prominent position as well that you can see it for miles sitting on its perch above the waves
1: Yes, it, it's. Um, we find it quite. Um, I mean, quite amazing, really, but also quite funny that when newspapers or um, the BBC, in particular, like to show that they're in Cornwall, they quite often show a picture of the Headland or the Eden really? Project. It's that <laughs> recognizable. Right, of course,
0: yeah. Those are the the only two things that exist in Cornwall, or well, that and Lands End, I suppose uh, as well. Yes. No, that's that's fabulous. What I also love about your story is is that you're. You, for all intents and purposes but I suppose born into the industry but you haven't taken what I would classify as an easy route to get to the position that you're now in like you have gone on a journey and I'm excited to kind of explore that as well so was was it always going to be the case that you were going to be in hotels just on, on the basis that you know, you were kind of born into the industry as it were?
1: So when I was when I was young, um, the dining room here was for over six years six year old guests, appropriately dressed only. I mean, that was back right. in the days, um, and I, it was it was a highlight of my sort of my my holidays was when my parents would take me in for dinner. Um, my younger brother and sister were not so interested initially, and I, I would come in for dinner with them, um, and then afterwards I would sit in the front hall um, on a chair um, with a book, um, whilst my parents carried on working, um, and then be taken home, and. I was aged about 10 when I said to my parents that I really I loved watching everyone and what was going on in the front hall and that I thought actually this is really what I wanted to do and my parents actually had really not encouraged me as such into the industry um right. they were very conscious of that but age 13 I started working at the hotel in children's entertainments um right. <laughs> varyingly dressed up as a purple dinosaur or as a mermaid I had a great skirt for being a mermaid and then progressed um, as I grew up through um, my school holidays um working very short hours but sort of through various departments but it's a lovely thing that the the, the waitress that trained me when I was 14 in the terrace restaurant still works with us today Kathy um, oh, she wow, is still brilliant. with us um, and she's someone who can very firmly bring me back down to to ground level very easily still
0: has that mothering instinct
1: she's she's wonderful um and yes she so yes I've, I've worked in pretty much all departments um apart from maintenance i mean through my whole career so being an operations manager can turn my hand to doing quite a few jobs that need to be done in, in, in maintenance wise in guest bedrooms so yeah yeah i've worked in a lot of different places
0: yeah well let's let's walk through them so you're in children's entertainment at, at yep. the hotel what's what what was the plan then at this point in time in terms of like you 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 have felt the connection to the industry and that you want to pursue that what was in your head what what in terms of what you have to do next in order to to i suppose maximize your your uh, your outcome with this
1: i think this is what's so brilliant about the hospitality industry is there's so many different routes in so i Got my GCSEs, got my A-levels, decided to go to university. I studied business management at Exeter and then went out to France for a period of um, nearly a year working in a very um, upmarket chalet as a chef where I had to do some fairly interesting things to make sure the guests were kept happy, including room temperature Evian water for a poodle. (laughs) <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. There's, I can tell you more about that later. Um, yeah. And then um, I then went to work at the Goring. I I started there as a receptionist at the Goring Hotel for three years of training. And after that, I'm trying to think, I came back down to Cornwall for a little while, um, working at the Headland, then went back up, worked at Cliveden. Um, so the five Red Star property Cliveden house, which was probably where I learnt the most in my career and in my two and a half years there my fairly short tenure there but most of my career before then deciding that I wanted to have a family and I had to leave the hotel world because working 80 hours a week wasn't wasn't possible to really start a family so I went into contract catering which was brilliant worked at uh, Christ Hospital School followed by the University of Oxford and then Covid hit and I came back, came back to Cornwall with my husband and my two little girls.
0: Right, and and here we are. So, yeah. uh, what is your what is your role in the hotel now?
1: So I'm director. Um, I sit on the board with my um, my husband and my parents as the board of directors. I get asked this question a lot, particularly when I go and talk in schools. What do you actually do as a director? <laughs> and I think the best thing to say is I do all the jobs that no one else really wants to do. Right. I'm the one who will quite happily do whatever it is. I have a particular interest in certain areas, uh, but certainly, um, yeah, if there's something he's doing, I'm very happy to, to get stuck in and go and, and help out a team or work on how we can solve a problem.
0: Yeah, well, so in, in that respect, then you have a, effectively a fully formed team. So you have a, a general manager uh, and so on and so forth into all the other departments. So you are literally picking up the pieces of the business
1: It's more, I think, because I've come from a very operations-led sort of career background, I can turn my hand to a lot of jobs in the hotel when we had the the sort of the, the two summers of the staycation boom. Um, I spent a lot of my time helping the um, barista team making coffees because that was something that we didn't. We had very limited um, skill uh, levels in the hotel for. But um, I have been trained um, at Oxford. So, yeah, I was it's, say that,
0: that's definitely a contract catering thing, isn't it? The, 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 you learn how to make a good coffee in contract very, catering. Very, very
1: quickly. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 um, yeah.
1: And then passing, trying to pass those skills on to the team members. So, yes, it's been a it's. I'm, I'm quite happy to help out everywhere, but also then try and take a more strategic lead when we're looking at our people and our culture. My husband deals far more with the, um, the, bit, the actual building and the finance side of the business. Um, I do sort of more operations, people and culture. And we have a fantastic general manager, Adrian, who really is the, I'd say he's, he's the leader of the team in terms of the day-to-day running of the hotel.
0: The heartbeat, yeah. as it were. Yeah, great. OK, so, well, I mean, we've we've gone through your journey quite quickly. Um, we will probably have to do some backtracking uh, and cover off a few things. I mean, you did mention a poodle. We were obviously talking about this famous poodle before we switched the microphone on. But there is definitely a story here. So please regale it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so... Um... I was working in a beautiful chalet in Val d'Isere in France. Um, I I'd, I'd trained as a chef um, whilst studying for my A-levels, sort of as a part-time uh, on-the-side course. And I was out looking after a chalet where we had an American guest who would fly over with um, on a private jet um, with his poodle and his wine collection and his double bed and everything... Everything would be set up in the chalet. I mean, this was a, a very, very, very high-end chalet. Um, right. Uh, yes, it was not your standard sort of chalet. We had a big team of staff there. And yes, lo and behold, um, I had to look up, I had to um, feed the poodle. So they brought in a two star chef to do the main catering. Um, because I, thought, the, the... I thought you were
0: going to say for the uh, for the po- no <laughs> the poodle no there. no yeah, the, the, like... the
1: poodle the poodle was allowed to be catered for by by sort of by yes twenty three year old me Um right. but but no I, I had to go to the butchers and ask for a, a fillet steak to be minced which as you can imagine a French butchers oh. that is a challenging conversation to be had yeah. um, even if you do speak French and trying to explain what it was for because they could not understand what I was trying to do yeah um, had to make sure that the Evian Water because the the poodle only drank Evian was at the exact temperature required. So we used to have multiple bottles of Evian, cold sort of room temperature, some that was cold, and we used to have to tip bits in with a thermometer in the bowl to make sure we got to the exact temperature. Um, And then the poodle would be taken up the mountain for lunch because um, the 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 main gentleman's wife always wanted to have the poodle there for lunch and one day, the, t- the one of the, um, the hosts forgot to take the poodle's white snow boots. So I had a frantic call and I had to set off ac- across the Espasquilí, the ski area, with some white poodle boots in, the back- in my backpack um, to go and deliver them so that the dog would not get cold feet at oh lunchtime. God,
0: God. I mean, I don't really know where to start with this. Today. <laughs> I, it's... Um, I, as a dog lover, I have a a, a wonderful little beagle myself, and l- like I, I would do anything for her. But the, there's no way in the world that the the poodle really cared about what temperature the water was. Really, would it? I would I would imagine. And there's no way in the world that the poodle needed to have a minced up fillet steak with uh, all the trimmings uh, on. But it just it just shows you some of the things in the requests that you get to do at kind of whatever stage. I mean, you, it's kind of no questions asked, right? That's what you want. That's what you I, get. I think
1: it's the it's the ethos of hospitality. Hospitality. All hospitality is is looking after people. It doesn't matter whether it's in a hotel, whether it's in a big boarding school, whether it's in a in a care home, whether it's in a hospital. Hospitality is just looking after people. And yeah. in my case, for that week, or like that fortnight, a dog as well. A dog.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in many ways, I, I think a lot of dog owners. Put the dog ahead of other humans, anyway. So that, that's probably um you were you were doing the the very best service that you could for them, in in that moment. Especially if you're running up a hill with poodle boots. I, I mean, that's I have I have a great picture in my head. But, <laughs> but there we are. No, that's great. So you uh, you went to Cliveden. It's obviously a, a very famous property. What was your role there? what's what were you responsible for?
1: I was head of operations there. Um, so working under Sue Williams, who's now at Whatley Manor. Um, yep. The famous. It, yeah, very famous. Um, yeah. And it was a, so the, the hotel had just been bought out of administration, which was after the collapse of Von Essen. And it was a very interesting time to be working there because there was, the new owners um, had were just trying to get to grips and grapple with the property. Um, it's a very complex property obviously owned by the national trust so you can't if, if if a curtain falls apart you can't just replace the curtain you have to make sure that it's the right fabric and the right everything but right, in terms yeah. of operations it was the most challenging operation i think i've ever set foot in it's it's the onslaught there was uh, immense and we would be doing million pound weddings um, exclusive uses over four days where people were paying unbelievable amounts of money and I think that was the place where I really, truly under- learned about digging deep and just getting the job done, which I think has stood me in good stead for the rest of my career to date. Yeah,
0: yeah, I would imagine as well. Working for somebody like Sue, who is, you know, a, a legend of the industry, there's no question about that. Like, I would, I mean, I don't really know Sue to be honest, but I, I only what I hear, but I would imagine she's very meticulous, and and therefore what you learn through that process of the attention to detail and what's required means that you can't help but raise your your own standard
1: well so the one of the mantras that sue has is um the standard you walk past is the standard you accept so if you're prepared to walk past a bit of litter um in a corridor or out in the grounds then that is your personal standard that you are prepared to accept because you haven't done something about it and I yeah. think for me that was one of the things that I think she really, really drummed into me that I still I talk about with my teams now, and it's quite, it's I think it plays out both in your sort of your work career as well as in your personal life. And for me, that was that was a very big life lesson that I learned from her, and of which I I think is something I, I yeah I really try and uphold.
0: Yeah, I, I you know it shows you the power of words. Like it's such a simple line. But actually, makes so much sense, and now, like, like I feel like I am just going to apply that to my life going forward. I, you know, I like to think I'm a a man of fairly high standards, but you know, you you're right. I mean, you know, I'm an ex-operator as well, and I remember having a mentor who just had the right level of knowing when to push me and knowing when to allow me to consolidate, and a lot of what he taught me was around having taking the blinkers off you know okay. and uh, and what would you want to see if you were coming into this environment bear, bearing in mind that it's a five-star environment and and that led down to attention to detail th- things such as the menus all fa- you know all facing the front of the uh, of the bar as people come in and little things like that that when you're pimply faced 22 year old you know you're like why but actually then you think well it's just a kind of it's one of this it's understated luxury whereby subliminally nobody can come into that environment and look at anything and go well that's out of place and that you know. so now I'm already I know. feeling like I, I shouldn't be in this place
1: I think I mean my team here and actually pretty much everywhere I've ever worked um, I have a weird ability to be able to spot typos and punctuation right. and grammar problems—they literally spring off the page for me. And every everywhere I've worked, people have people either love it or they they find it very annoying because if I see a menu and I can see a typo, I I can't. I, we have we need to reprint the menu. And we need to get it correct because it I triggers think you for me. Yeah, for me it's 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 just it's just a bit. Yeah, we just yeah. need to make sure it's the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And I refuse to accept that we have typos and spelling mistakes on our literature. Um, saying that I mean maybe some of the listeners will now go to our website and find a million mistakes (laughs) (laughs) we will kill me slowly
0: there's a challenge yeah yeah no absolutely it's funny you mentioned that was actually one of the things I was responsible for at one point on the the ship that I was working on Mm -hmm. was menu proofing Mm -hmm. before and we used to print menus every day because it was a uh, a 28-day menu cycle that we were on and then there was little nuance differences depending on what we could actually get in stock and all of these things that, that happen. And I, no word of a lie it was the most stressful thing that I ever used to do on board because somebody somewhere, I was just at, at 5.30 every day, I would just wait for the executive purser, who's the uh, cruise ship equivalent of the general manager, You know, call me and go, why have you misspelt Guinea fill? or something like that you know and, <laughs> and it was just like it was the most stressful time of my life
1: I think well but I think in in for that for that sort of particular uh, ability for, for this weird as my PE says it's like a superpower that no one likes yeah um <laughs> that there's always we people call in you an orga- super yeah. grammar lady oh, oh. it's all, in in every organization there is always someone that is like that that I mean, I read books and I spot. Them. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know how I've. I i do not know how I can. How I do it. How I. How I. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So
0: well, and the thing about that is, is that I. I. I think my grammar is good. and My spelling is good, uh, but when you get one wrong, like immediately the pressure comes on. It's like like next time, I have to make sure and like I'm reading through it ten times, and then still there would be an apostrophe in the wrong place or something like that, and you think, God, Phil, just. You know, get better.
1: Oh, the t- the team here—if they can find something that I've missed, oh, they love it, and I—I <laughs> applaud yeah. them for it. I, I I actually appreciate the fact that they are so proud they found something. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's good fun. It's all a game. It's all good yeah. fun.
0: but that's also good that they're confident enough. That tells you everything that you ever need to know about your culture there, and that, you know that that nobody's sort of shrinking away from the director of the business. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's almost like right, we have to find something today.
1: I mean, it's game on. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. yes, very much so. Yeah, sure. I love
0: that. That's great. There's, def- there's a story from Cliveden that I definitely want to cover. That, that, uh, that one made me LOL as I was, <laughs> as I was reading it. Please, please oh, go no. on.
1: <laughs> so I was only reminded of this last week at the Pride of Britain Hotels conference when someone described me as a, as a firecracker. And I was chatting to Sue about this this description of me. And she said, well, Varen, my greatest memory of you is you standing between two incredibly angry brides who hadn't told us they were sort of getting ready the night before their wedding at Clifton. So we didn't know who were trying to fight, trying to fight each other. We had to do this carefully orchestrated sort of, they both wanted to have photographs all around Clifton. But they didn't want to see each other because apparently it's bad luck if two brides see each other on their wedding day, apparently. And involving moving curtains and screens and taking people out of the back doors. And Sue was involved and we would but yeah, she's one of she had one of her, her greatest memories of me is me physically separating two brides
0: As they in their wedding dresses. They to wanted to
1: rip each other. Yeah. Yeah. Which you wouldn't have thought would happen at Clifton, but hey. The greater the hotel, the more interesting the guests. I think.
0: Yeah, indeed. Interesting as well. Like, uh, uh, how does that work with having two weddings going on at the same time? That must be a oh, challenge no, they, in itself.
1: They weren't even having their weddings at, Cl- at Cliveden.
0: Ah, right. They right, were just right.
1: staying the night before their weddings with their families. Oh my hadn't, god. Hadn't hadn't told even us. worse.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was.
1: It, yes, we suddenly realised. I think that about when they checked in that there's a very big there's very big wedding dresses coming in and we were thinking oh my oh my goodness yeah
0: right and I didn't even know that was a thing as well like I didn't know it was uh it was bad luck to see oh, another bride on your wedding day or I, maybe I, they just made that up
1: no 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 it's definitely it's definitely a thing it's any hotels that do either multiple weddings or just a wedding and have other people getting ready and you know about that but yeah, yeah. that was a particular we giggled a lot in sue's office afterwards the whole senior team has been trying to stop these two brides yeah destroying yeah. Each, each other's days basically
0: yeah oh god that's hilarious people who who like trouble will always find trouble that's the um that's another, true that, yes just, that's just, very very that true. saying up to be honest um <laughs> it's very true though yeah from Clifton, you then went into contract catering so very different was that kind of more because contract catering, I, I suppose, in principle is a little bit more Monday to Friday regular hours, depending on the contract that you're in, of course. But yeah, just tell us more about that experience.
1: So working at Cliveden, I was doing a lot of hours. It was a lot of, um, it was challenging. It was very, very challenging in terms of the sheer volume of work and my husband and I had—we were going to get married. Had a bit of a discussion about it all, and just was not going to be possible to have a young family because at Clifton I would be—I'd be starting my early duty management shift at seven in the morning, and sometimes at half eleven, midnight, I'd still be at the hotel. Yeah. So I was—I had a random approach from a headhunter to come over and join Compass Group to go and work as general manager of Christ Hospital School down in Horsham. And initially thought nothing of it, but they were quite insistent that I came to meet um, meet someone, meet the regional manager. And it, it was then suddenly dawned on me that I could continue my career in hospitality, effectively looking after school pupils in the same way that I was looking after guests in a hotel. Yeah. And, but also then have a more Monday to Friday role doing. 45 hours a week if that's okay I mean we understand if there needs to be maybe 36 hours a week (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then yes decided to take the plunge to to move into contract catering which was extraordinary the first probably two three months I would I'd be uh, sort of Half past five, the bursar would come along to sort of say, "Oh, um, well done for a lunch we delivered that day to the headmaster." Um, You're still here? Is everything okay? They'd get really concerned that I was still at my desk at sort of half past five, six o'clock in the evening. Yeah. And it was a real culture shock to me to suddenly have a life outside of work on days that I was working. And so yes, and then uh, lucky enough, we're lucky enough to have our first daughter, Rose. um, And then I moved to the University of Oxford. Um, with Compass Group as well as operations director there. Um, again, a very, very different world to hotels and schools, but very, very interesting, and certainly learned how to manage a very large, diverse group of stakeholders.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, cause you, you've got them in a university environment. You've got them coming at you from all angles. I would imagine.
1: Yes, and I must say that the, one of the big lessons I learned was that academics love an argument. Or debate. They probably call it a debate, um, right. but I had yeah. a lot of fun having debates with people about um, about various aspects of their of their restaurant catering, of their cafe catering. But I also had a lot of fun. I mean, we were doing afternoon tea events for over a thousand people. We were doing dinners for eight hundred in examination halls, which has no no proper kitchen. Right. We were setting up a makeshift kitchen to deliver a dinner. Um, At a very high level, Um, we had an excellent, amazing um, executive chef to, uh, yeah, in huge industry heavyweights, lucky enough to serve and cater for dinners um, in the um, vice chancellor's home for Hillary Clinton, for example, some some quite interesting, um, some visitors. So no, it was a very, um, again, just looking after people. It's all the same. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, that's the joy of the industry is that, that if you've kind of got it in your blood that actually you enjoy looking after people, I mean, it's the, the simplest way to look at it that we always talk about is actually when somebody comes round to your house, a friend or whatever, and you're putting on a dinner, or even if you're just coming round for a drink and a coffee, like you're, I would hope that the vast majority of people are quite hospitable in that environment. But all hospitality is, is taking that concept and... Rolling it out to a load of people that you don't really know very well. But making sure that when they're in your space, that they're just having the best possible time. Precisely. And when you can't when you break it down like that, it's you know, it's I mean it's not rocket science, but it is actually uh, you know, I think it's the one of the greatest gifts that we have as human beings is the ability to make somebody feel special or make somebody feel like they're having the most wonderful time.
1: I I think It's not difficult, but there is an art to it. I think one of the biggest challenges I've certainly had across my career is people thinking that hospitality is easy.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's an if, that's if. Anyone can run a hotel, can't they? Anyone can run a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that a lot of, unless you're in the industry, I don't think there's necessarily the understanding about the blood, sweat, tears, and love. That is poured into just the simple art of making a bed beautifully, yep. um, to making the perfect Negroni, to serving the most beautiful dinner, just to that perfectly wonderful personal welcome you get on the door of a hotel or of a restaurant. And I think that's where there is a real art in hospitality. And I think personally in the uk that at the moment the independent hotel scene people have really got this down to a fine art and are just amazing at what given everyone does it slightly differently but it's still essentially the same thing um it's it's really it's very magical to see
0: yeah absolutely i mean it's it's, is there anything more special than seeing proper hospitality done well like, you know, and then when you're whether you're delivering that yourself or whether you're experiencing it yourself as a as a guest somewhere else, like it's it's it, for me it's still a big joy to go somewhere and see a really in-tune team who clearly want to be there doing what they do and you know, just giving you the bit the, the greatest experience. And I you know, all this talk a, a few years ago when we were talking about we remember what those headlines that were written around hospitality being low skilled. Whoa. it was like, well, come on then, come and give it a go before you kind of label it like that.
1: Exactly. I think it's a very, very skillful thing. And I, I'm like you, when you see a team really, truly delivering outstanding hospitality, I mean, it's jaw-dropping to watch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's,
1: what's What's so amazing is it doesn't have to be always in a five-star property or at that, that super luxe property. Totally, you can see yeah. people doing it in your local tea room. Yep. You can see people doing it in lots of different areas. It's it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's the that's the joy is that there are so many different elements to hospitality. So many, you know, it's the minute that you're exchanging money for a drink or a bed or whatever, you know, hospitality is in play for for exactly. sure. Even before exactly. you exchange money, mm-hmm. you know, in the reservation process and and all of that. Yeah, well, I mean. We're entering the festive period. I would imagine this is a busy time for the hotel. But again, just before we switch the microphone on, you told me the most wonderful story about your decorations. So please, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm just, you're one of the best prepared guests I've ever had on the show because you have... Well, asked-
1: High praise indeed.
0: <laughs> well, I, you, you've done everything that I asked you to do, so you, you, you've made my job very, very easy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a, another wonderful story that, that we spoke about with regards to how how your decorations come about every year.
1: So I don't know. You might. There was a, we were on a TV program last year, Cornwallia by the Sea, and this was all filmed, which is quite fun. If anyone wants to see it, we support a local group called the Thursday Club, who are people who are want to come together they may be a little lonely they may be just want some friends and it's a group of ladies aged I think between I want to say maybe late 40s to early 80s I think mid 80s right and we'll have 40 ladies um, who will be joining us for three days from Monday the 28th of November to decorate the hotel from top to bottom all headed up by the wonderful Maggie, um, who used to work with us on reception here. And she leads the team. She re- creates the whole look for the hotel. We have a whole Christmas Christmas store with about 22,000 Christmas baubles and decorations in it, much wow. to, I think, my, my father and my husband's dismay. <laughs> and yes, the ladies will decorate. And we have local people come up to simply come up and have coffee and watch the decorations going up. We have a lot of Christmas trees, we do a lot of mantelpieces, um, lots of fun things and it's a really special and wonderful time of the year here. The and really suits itself to the Christmas sort of festivities and, and feel. We have lots of log fires that are lit throughout the winter but over the Christmas period it really sort of makes it all come to life.
0: Yeah absolutely but that that to me that's just a wonderful story to me because because that's a sort of community integration projects as well and that that is a a, a thing when uh, it's another part of hospitality done well for me is that when a, a business that you know relies on its local community to thrive but is kind of doing that that full circle we are here to be together and we are here to support each other and all of it. i just i love that i, th- I just think that's a really wonderful story
1: thank you i mean we we don't do it. They don't do it for free. We do make a donation to their yeah, charity of choice, yeah, um, which looks good. But I think I think there is a lot that hospitality businesses can do in the local community quite easily. Um, we work with Newki Food Bank, and at the moment, I'm hoping that the larger hospitality businesses in Niki, um I've dropped emails out and approached them all, that we can do um, as a group. We can do the majority of all of the the lovely bits that go in the Christmas food hampers. So crackers, chocolate, mince pies, uh, yule logs, juice, all the fun things, chocolate coins, things like that. So we're hoping to get together to do that. And also here, um, we every winter we do refurbishments, um, normally at least 10 bedrooms, and we sell all the furniture that is leaving the hotel. I mean, it's five-star hotel furniture, so it's not shabby, but it's not quite the look and feel and what we require. Um, and we raise money for the distribution distribution and sharing center, Nuki Disc, um, who are currently feeding, I think it's about two and a half thousand people, families a week um, with meals. And that's been something that we're very proud to be part of. But other than occasionally talking about it on podcasts, I don't really talk about it. We don't do it for PR really um, at all, but it's quite something that often I think hospitality businesses could reach out to their local distribution and sharing centers or food banks and it's very easy to raise some money. So instead of just throwing furniture and items into a skip, a lot of the time they can be repurposed, recycled, and you can raise just a little bit of cash for your local community groups. It's really worthwhile.
0: Brilliant. You know, that, that to me should be kind of at the heart of why businesses business exists uh, as well. It's, it's not just about, pro- well, it's not even just about profit. It's, you know, it's actually... The profit will come when you do everything else well, and then everybody can benefit from the profit. That's kind of, you know, that's, that's the, what is it, the circular economy where everybody so, wins? Uh, we,
1: we have a triple bottom line strategy. So we are people, people first. So look after our guests, look after our staff, our team members, then planet. So look after our, the beautiful bit of headland that we're on. But also for us, the planet section is also about community sustainability. If Nuki suffers, so do we. Yeah. So for us, the planet section is not just about being eco-conscious and eco-aware. It's also about more of a community angle. Um, and we that should then, and we know it will, deliver sustainable profits. For us, we're as a family, we're in it for the long term here. We're not chasing a number endlessly year off, sort of each year. Um, it's far more about the fact that we can look after the building for the future. Yeah,
0: well, that's it. I mean, you're effectively a custodian of the, exactly. of, of the building, aren't you? Until... Whatever time it is down the line that it it moves on to to whatever happens next, exactly. But uh, yeah, and, and you know, if you're looking after it now, then obviously you hand that over in the, the best possible state that it can be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get the sense that you're using your position for the greater good. Again, something we just touched on very briefly before we switched the microphone on around uh, something that you seem to be quite passionate around, which is teenagers. Minimum wage.
1: Yes. Please explain. um, So if I may first, back when I was a teenager, we worked with some family business consultants uh, with my parents um, and my brother and my sister. And we had to write down our five key values, personal values. I did this when I was a teenager, haven't looked at it since. And um, I found it. Right. And what's been written, so it's over 20 years later, found it and for me, what was really interesting is one of my core values for me, when I was a teenager was this concept of giving back. And it was amazing to see that even as an, sort of an 18 year old, 17, 18 year old, that I had that as one of my core values. Yeah. And I don't think in my younger hospitality career, I don't think I really had that opportunity particularly, but now I do. And so for me um, living in Cornwall, we have some of the most deprived parishes areas in Europe in pockets of Cornwall and on the outskirts of Newquay there is one and when we were in the lockdowns it became apparent to me that we couldn't do work experience because schools were being told you couldn't do any form of work experience so there I was giving talks on hospitality because um, teachers were looking for external speakers to come in and deliver over Google classrooms to 200 students even though I couldn't see them all um, talks on hospitality because these children were at home in lockdown they couldn't get out And from that, I suddenly sort of thought about, well, why aren't we doing work experience for for young people? So it couldn't be organized through the school. But we set about um, arranging, I organized a work placement scheme for 14 to 16 year olds, because in Cornwall, tourism and hospitality is a huge employer. But unless young people can have meaningful work experience, I believe should be paid. So this is not sort of the week, ex- the, the week long work experience from school. This is sort of a longer sort of first part time job type role. Yeah. And when I was looking to set it up, I thought well, I'll have a look, have a look to see um what the there's very very stringent rules and regulations around employing of young people those under age sixteen. Yeah. And of course we wanted to absolutely adhere to the law. And I suddenly became aware that. There's no minimum wage for 14 and 15 year olds. So people can offer a 14 year old a job part time Saturday job at a pound an hour, 20pm at whatever, whatever it is. Right. And something about this really struck me as morally wrong These are young people who sometimes might not have parents or guardians who are fully aware of what's should be an expected norm for some of these part-time roles. So we set it up paying our 14 and 15 year olds, um, eight pounds 81 an hour, which they of course loved. (laughs) Yes. Um, Because they, they don't don't pay NI or pension or anything like that. Um, and we put, we put them all on contracts sort of properly through our books, which you don't have to do, but we wanted to make it a very meaningful, proper work placement so that they would experience what life could be like for them. Mm. but in a very protected environment and when I then went out and I start the, the local schools by this point were very encouraging to me coming in to talk about the placement um, and I've had a, I mean they've been so encouraging to the students so we normally now each year we run it we probably get this last year was just under 100 applications they do a one minute video to apply and when I go into schools and ask students to everyone to stand up and everyone who has never had a job to sit down, everyone. And we, we work out that of a, cl- a year group of 100, there might be about 40 of them that have had jobs. None of them are paid very much at all. Lots of them are not adhering to the uh, labor laws um, in their, where they're working, right. which apply even if it's a family business. And it's quite revealing that actually, I think there's a real loophole of ex- exploitation that's going on for 14 and 15-year-olds and uh, yeah i think it's frankly fairly shocking
0: <laughs> yeah well i but i suppose the the key thing is is that you're trying to do something about that you're kind of leading from the front with that and and this is a, i suppose another one of these circumstances whereby you you're laying the standard here and actually when somebody takes the lead on these things generally speaking generally speaking people follow you know and businesses follow it takes somebody to be bold and it takes somebody to to, to, to do something different and clearly that's something that you're you're passionate about and it means something to you and and i, I completely get it like these are the the people who are on the cusp of the workforce you know that like going out on their own and having to pay rents and having to look after their own bills and all of these they, you know they're they're only going to be a few years away from that that's the time to inspire and that is the time to get them comfortable as comfortable as possible with the mechanics of life and how things actually work when you don't have the you know the, the protection of mum and dad if you're lucky enough to have mum and dad because this is going very deep now isn't it um but you know it's so it it's it's one of those things whereby it needs somebody to step up you guys are stepping up i would imagine that others will follow
1: i think employing 14 and 15 year olds does come with certain challenges there's certainly a far bigger safeguarding requirement Yeah, and you have to be incredible. We're ruthless. If our managers ask the the young people to work beyond the law, so after certain times of day, too many hours in a week, we have it as a gross misconduct. It is without negotiation. It is it is seen as a very serious offence because they are exploiting young people. Mm. And so we work quite hard to make sure that everyone understands it. But the fact is, is that our young people can now trot out the labor laws regarding working yeah. 15, 14 and 15 year olds to anyone um i'm quite proud of that the fact that they and, and and explaining to them that this is a this protects them and they should be any of their friends who are working people should be they young people should be protected because they are they're like sponges in terms of training my goodness me if you've ever tried to train train people or just get a 14 and 15 year old in a first job, they literally suck up every single morsel of training they can be given and are so good at it and so good at using it and sort of practice. They might fail the first time they try and make a cappuccino, but I promise you by the third or fourth time, they'll have got it down absolutely perfectly. And I think with their eagerness to earn money and their eagerness to please, because suddenly within a team, they might be, the one young person in a team of eight or 10, it, they get a lot more attention than I think at school in a bigger class of say 30. Mm. And so they absolutely blossom um, and you can see it happening. And I've had um, uh, emails from, from careers leads and, and, and um, head teachers to say sort of young, one young chap in particular, we didn't quite know why you took him on we thought you were going to probably would fail weren't sure I mean just someone I know quite well now and came back to school in the start of September and they could just said his whole outlook has changed he now wants to get his fours and fives in his GCSEs because he wants to do an apprentice with you apprenticeship with you and he now knows that he can't do that unless he gets his grades so we've never seen him applying himself in math and English as hard as he now is and I think that's if we've managed to just change some young people's lives and, and we do tend to take on people who have had more challenging challenging upbringings that's they often have a little bit of something special about them in terms of cheekiness or ability to chat to guests yeah and, and our guests love it our guests really really love sort of some of the young people serving them yeah um, yeah it's really yeah.
0: great well the, do you know the, the wonderful thing about that was is I was in uh, the Ritz London mm-hmm. yes only yesterday and, um, it was talking to the people director there around like one of the greatest character traits for a doorman is cheekiness. You know, it's just having that confidence with people that um you know, and that takes that takes sometimes it takes people a lot of years to get that, but some decades. people have it naturally. <laughs> yes. um you know, and so when you can find somebody like that who's just got that naturally kind of cheeky way about them, then, you just know that that, that that person underneath whatever might be going on in their life, they've got an underlying confidence with people, and they're uh, they they will thrive in hospitality uh, at some point. I I have absolutely no doubt about that.
1: It's been interesting as well. We've with all the, the talks I give in schools, um, I, we were approached by I was approached by a young girl who wanted to become a doctor. And I'd been talking in my in, in the, the talk I gave, I spoke about the fact that hospitality, even though that might not be your career you want to go into, if you want to learn confidence in how to talk to anyone and everyone about anything, hospitality will help you mature dramatically in that particular skill. Mm. And she came to talk to me after my talk to ask, says she wants to be a doctor. Would this help her with talking to patients when she and this is from a 15 year old right. and I said, well, yes, I think it probably would because you'll have a very human side. You'll be able to, to talk to everyone because you'd have learned from a young age. Um, so she came, she actually replied um, and was brilliant, came to join us. And you can see how she, she she blossomed. What she learned in six weeks, and she, I mean, she still works part-time with us now while she's studying for her, uh, her GCSEs and then her A-levels, so I guess. Um, but what she learned in how to talk to everyone and anyone I think will stand her in such good stead because when you're training to become a doctor, it's all about the medicine. Whereas she's learned how to communicate to people, which yeah. is such a core skill for a doctor to have. For
0: sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, we, in many ways, you could argue it's as important as the technical capability to heal people. If that's what you call it, technical capability. <laughs> I, I think that, that
1: would... that's a good description. Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, that's wonderful, and you know, I, I think the, the the overriding thing there is is that what you what you're doing is not easy. Like you know, you you've had to kind of adapt your ways and adapt uh, your team's ways of how they handle this and how they deal with it, and uh, and make them aware of you know the the laws around it and all of these things. But the the underlying message for me there is that anything worth doing well is usually difficult. You know, it's like you might have to jump through some hoops in order to make something happen, but it doesn't mean that you should walk away from it. In actual fact, anything meaningful worth doing is worth pushing through for sure. And and, and I take my hat off to you guys for kind of leading the way on that. I've not heard of other businesses who are doing that. So if there are any out there, please do reach out to me and let's get this as a discussion point because I think it's fabulous.
1: Yes, if any if anyone else is doing, it, I'd love to see if we can share some learning with each other because we've got to constantly adapt it, and I just want to keep making it a better and better and better program. And so, yes, I would love to hear from anyone else who's doing it. It'd be amazing.
0: Yeah, and plus, you're you're kind of giving kids, for want of a better phrase, young people, we'll call them. Sorry, sorry, kids, that uh, you're giving them the opportunity to actually see whether hospitality might be a a great career for them as well. So, you know, in terms of a a moment we find ourselves in at the moment where everybody's talking about having staffing problems, we have to get creative in how we handle that and coming up with new solutions and enticing and you know exciting people enough to want to come and do this as a career, you're getting them at exactly the right moment.
1: The young people we had from this summer, we had we had of the ten we had join us, nine are still working for us. Fantastic. So in terms of a retention rate, it's very high.
0: Yeah. There we are. Listen out, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah great stuff well I mean I uh, a, a quick question before I let you get on your way but what would you say are your your top three reasons why somebody should come and join hospitality
1: top three reasons it's awesome fun I mean it's just so much fun you get to meet and work alongside fascinating people I think the team feel in hospitality, when you when you're working with a team where you all know each other, and can um, tease each, tease each other mercilessly quite often, um, but it's it's very much sort of one team. That's it's so much fun, and I think also just no day is the same. I mean, every day is different, and I think a lot of industries talk about that, but truly in hospitality, because you're dealing with people every day. Yeah, I mean. Never, if, if you want if you want to have a quiet dinner, never get a group of hoteliers around a table together because <laughs> we all try and out, out hotel story each other relentlessly. Yes, it's, it's um, it's,
0: well, that's a great it's, place to be when that happens. It, it
1: is, um yeah. but yeah, it. I think it's just the fact that it's. There's no doubt it's hard work. There's no doubt that this is, this is not, an industry for the faint-hearted, but, it's so much fun. Yeah, and you you. Get, you create lifelong friendships with people, other hoteliers that I only might see once a year up in London at an event. But it's just so fun and you can just yeah. connect with people. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that thing about hard work for me, that, that absolutely does not define hospitality as an yeah. industry because, I mean, quite frankly, if you want to make it in any sector, you're going to have to work hard. Like, you know, so just get that out of your mind as being hospitality's point of difference i don't mean your mind i mean anybody who's listening you know because it's um i have mates who work in the financial services sector who you know they're there at six o'clock in the morning they don't leave until 11 you know and it's so the the hours and all of the the, that kind of hard work ethic i think you, you need to have that if you want to be successful in anything so yeah bring it to hospitality you will be most welcome here (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah definitely I mean yes it it is all quite um it's it's tough but I think not in a not a in a bad as you say not in a bad way I think Mm. I think any everything is is tough um and yeah it's it's all rather fun though and it's all a bit different and all a bit varied so yeah, yeah it's um
0: and if you're That's in operations great. in a uh, in a busy place, then you don't need a gym membership because you're on your feet all the time, and you're, you know, <laughs> you're, the weight just stays off.
1: Yeah, <laughs> though, though you have to say, I mean, who doesn't? If anyone who's worked in a hotel, the Danish pastries that are always in the staff canteen after <laughs> after breakfast service is finished, those can be quite dangerous.
0: Yeah, very tempting, too tempting. Yeah, great stuff. Well, look, thank you so much for for coming on the show. It's a fabulous story so far. Um, I, um, actually, I, I did mean to ask you, what's what's next for the headland? What's What where have you got lined up in the future?
1: So we are um, on stage five of a nine-stage whole site redevelopment. So we have some quite exciting things still to come over the next three to five to ten years. Um, let's wait and see what happens to energy costs. <laughs> see how yes. much money, ha- how much, how many, how much profit we can reinvest after the next couple of years. But yes, we've got some quite exciting things coming, and yeah, we'll just keep keep gently rumbling forward. We describe this as like a giant beast that just keeps rumbling on, right. and we've just got to keep 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 the beautiful iconic building on track and moving forward.
0: Yeah, and and slight evo- quiet evolution. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Thank you so much, Varian. It's been a, a real pleasure to chat. And uh, yeah, look forward to, to finding out what, what happens next.
1: Thank you very much, Phil. It's been brilliant to be on this.
0: Great stuff. Take care now. Thank you. Bye-bye. And there we have it. It was great to learn all about Varian's journey and the fact that she learned her craft across a couple of different subsectors of the industry before returning to her roots is rather wonderful. It's also great to see her using her business for good. I'll be back again next week with more stories from hospitality but until then, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week.